Sagittarian Matters Social Distancing Studios in Los Angeles, California. Listeners, I am breaking out of our summer break to promote my new book, which is coming out September 1st. It is a diary comic collection called Dog's Breakfast. And in order to do so, I wanted to give you a full episode. But please know we are on summer vacation and we will be back sometime in the fall with a full new season of Sagittarian Matters for you to enjoy. Okay, things I want to talk to you about today, tortoise drama, my book and calendar, an interview with my friend Alec Longstreth about the book and my long practice of making diary comics, plus a whole bunch of unsolicited vegan food reviews from our roving reporters who have sent me these reviews from their travels around the world. But the first thing I want to tell you are the best things I ate while I was in Portland, Oregon in August 2023. Number one, coastal kale salad from New Seasons. It's not glamorous, but it is predictable, tasty, and nutritious. Number two, three, and four, local strawberries, local blueberries, local blackberries from New Seasons. I'm sorry to be so up the ass of New Seasons, but once you have had a Mount Hood strawberry, every other strawberry tastes like dog shit. It tastes like a waste of time. Mount Hood strawberries are small, they're red all the way through, they are so flavorful, it's outrageous. I thought I was doing pretty well getting strawberries from Rainbow Grocery in San Francisco. They were doing the thing I needed them to do. But once I got to Oregon, Mount Hoods were no longer in season, but there were other tiny local strawberries, and they blew the strawberries I had in my cooler right out of the water. Okay, the blueberries were sweet, they were never mealy, and even though Spouse to the show, Kaya, made fun of me for purchasing blackberries at a high price from the grocery store. The giant blackberries they had at New Seasons were terrific. They were always sweet. There was never a sour one. I wasn't afraid of eating an ant. And they were huge. And I just, they were better than the ones I was foraging on my own, if I have to be honest. So two, three, and four are the local berries. Maybe you have great berries where you live that rival these. I trust you. That's fine. But in Los Angeles, California, the berries I'm finding, I'm telling you, $20 for some Harry's berries. Give me a break. Okay. Number five, another local produce item. I'm telling you, go to Portland during the summertime just for the produce. Hermiston watermelons from Hermiston, Oregon or Washington. I don't know. Did you know I used to work at a produce market? I did. I thought I hated tomatoes until I was 23 years old and I worked at a produce market and I chose the proper tomatoes and I tasted heirloom tomatoes that were the full color all the way through. No snot, no white, no slime, just tomato meat. Delicious, terrific. But we're not here to talk about heirloom tomatoes because I haven't been able to buy them for a long time because the market is saturated with subpar heirloom tomatoes. But Hermiston watermelons are the watermelon that brings every other watermelon to shame. My friend Karen, friend to the show, spouse to the show, Karen Harrington, turned me on to this man selling Hermiston's on the street corner. Um, He is on 68th and Prescott in Northeast Portland. I don't know if he's still there, but he was really nice. He chopped up a piece of watermelon for me and friend to the show, Bran, from Magic Hour Candles, and 
truly his watermelon puts all the other ones to shame. He only chooses excellent melons. You can Venmo him right on the spot. Go to 68th and Prescott, whether or not this year, do it next year. And Karen Harrington is not my spouse to the show. She is producer Chris's spouse to the show. Okay, number six, I got an eight-course meal from Workshop with wine pairings. Kaya and I recorded an entire review about this that I'll post somewhere sometime, but what luck. We got last-minute seats to Workshop, the fine-dining vegetable-forward restaurant helmed by farm spirit chef Aaron Adams. It's right next to Fermenter. Um, We had things such as a cashew onion profiterole, onion waffle, mushroom pate, tomato consomme, corn custard, a lion's mane mushroom treated like a steak in a way that blew my ancient vegan mind. It was delicious. If Make a reservation two months in advance. Go to workshop. There are only like 16 seats in the house, something like that. Get the wine pairing. Take it from me. Get the wine pairing. Number seven, the Koji Beet Reuben from Fermenter. I love this damn sandwich. And now it is only available as a special. So follow them on Instagram and get it whenever you can. Show up as soon as you see it pop up on their Instagram page. Um, the last ones I want to tell you about. Oh, gosh, there's more. From Ice. I went to Ice Queen. I went to their actual storefront. The Ice Queen Mango Nada Popsicle dipped in chamoy. Are you kidding? Holy shit. This popsicle was spicy. It was salty. It was sweet. It was my treat for finishing the calendar early. I recommend it. Run, don't walk. Okay, number nine, Al Pastor Taco from Mis Tacones and Frijole Taco with Guacamole. These were in hand-pressed blue corn tortillas. They were delightful. They had delightful vegan cheese on them, cashew crema, huge flavors. Get their tacos. Skip the soy curl ceviche. I'm sorry, but get their tacos. Eat them on the grass at Peninsula Park with Morgan or outside of a trailer in St. John's with Kaya and pat yourself on the back. The last thing I got on my way out of town right before I left town was I went and I stood in line on a Sunday morning at Starter Bread in St. John's. Was I first in line? I was. Was I standing at the wrong door? I was. So then once I realized I was at the wrong door, I became maybe fourth in line. But I want you to know the producer Ponyo and I showed up at 9.45 in the morning. They're open from 10 to 2. I got warm bread. I got crusty, crispy crust of a seed bread called bird bread. Um, It had a kind chew. The inside was a flavorful adventure. I almost died. My eyes rolled on the back of my head like a total cheese ball. Um, The other thing I got was a Bialy. It was awesome. It was happening. So go to Starter Bread. You can also sign up for their bread subscription service. Thank you. Okay, now we are going to talk about some tortoise drama. As you may or may not know, listeners, I am part of a thriving community on Facebook that is called the Friendly Russian Tortoise Owners Group. Are they friendly? I think not. On this day, I will be reading you a couple of comments. A woman posted a photograph of her tortoise in his beautiful habitat with the proper lighting, the proper substrate, the correct number of water dishes, etc. And her tortoise was sitting in front of a beautiful little plate with a tiny salad she had made for him, including romaine lettuce. Okay, enter a man who I'm going to call A, and he is in his 60s, I think. He has, he's balding. He's wearing a blazer with a t-shirt in his profile, but don't let that fool you because he's not that professional. He looks a little bit like somebody in a baked beans commercial or 
a little like a heir to Walter Brimley. Is that who it was that was the oatmeal man? Think about the man that you saw shilling oatmeal for a long time. Um, somebody from this show, from the movie Grumpy Old Men, like an extra from Grumpy Old Men. Okay, so we're talking balding. We're talking teeny tiny wire-rimmed circle glasses at the end of his nose, tiny gray mustache, and a little bit of a scrunch at the bottom of his face. So like Nose, mouth, chin are real close together, but forehead is real tall. So he jumps in the mix as in the first response to her photo of her beautiful tortoise that she's just showing us for fun. He says, please research diet. Lettuces are addictive, cause overeating, and have little or no nutritional value. Oh, sorry. I should have said trigger warning. ED. Okay. Lettuce causes overeating and has little or no nutritional value. And the original woman who posted her photo said, hey, A, romaine lettuce is literally one of the graphics from this group of things that are okay to feed them. He comes back in and says, think about it. He uses her full name, M, think about it. When you want to lose weight, what do you do? Eat salads based mainly in lettuces. One head, one lettuce only contains 25 calories. Tortoises don't even eat a whole head, and this is what you expect them to survive and grow on? From a veterinary standpoint, these are addictive, making diet changes difficult or impossible. Low calories, causing them to eat more. Overeating, too high insoluble carbohydrates, leading to diarrhea. Just because it will be readily eaten and is on a list promoted by lay people doesn't make it nutritional. I'm not here to argue or cause problems. I'm here trying to educate and get people to use common sense. Do you want to take a guess, listeners, when I did a little digging, if this man is a veterinarian? (laughs) Well, you'd be surprised to know the answer is no. He's not a veterinarian. But he is not here to argue or cause problems. He's just here to help lay people. He's here to try to educate lay people and get us to use some common sense. (laughs) Uh, the tortoise world, it's a tough one, you know? That's why they have those thick shells, okay? That's why they have those thick shells. That's the end of tortoise theater for the day. On with more things I want to tell you about. Okay, I recapped the show and just like that with friend to the show, Bran from Magic Hour Candles. I posted it on my Patreon page. It is unlocked. You can go there and listen to our report on the finale right now. Go. Go patreon.com slash Nicole J. Georges. It's unlocked. It's free. Just go listen to it. If you want to listen to more, I did another recap of And Just Like That that is locked. So you have to pay the giant fee of $2 a month to be able to listen to it. I might be upping that at some point if I get like really good at bonus content. But for right now, we have unlocked. We have $2 a month. Go listen to what I think about And Just Like That. Why isn't it on the main feed? It feels like something that I don't want Sarah Jessica Parker to be able to find easily. Do I? Do you really think she's looking up Sagittarius matters? No. But what if? I don't know. They're there. Do what you will with them. They are there. Okay. My new book is coming out September 1st. It is called Dog's Breakfast. Please order it through the link that I will be posting on Instagram or get it through the link that I will be giving you to Alex Page. I'll have the links everywhere. If you can order it directly from Lulu, the place that's printing it, I would love it. There will also be a digital download for those of you who are overseas. Um, And my calendar is out, which you can get from my store, NicoleJGeorges.com. 
All right, let's go on with the show. Today we have unsolicited vegan food reviews from four different Sagittarian Matters correspondents. These roving reporters are telling us about food from Spain, Tucson, and Denver, Colorado. Dawn Riddle is a multidisciplinary artist from Portland, Oregon. She's a brilliant painter, weaver, photographer, musician, playwright, videographer, and so much more. Luca J. Davis is a writer, web designer, and long-distance hiker. You will notice that their review is in two parts because it was originally sent to me as a video, after which I said, I need more details. So they sent me more details via voice memo, which you will hear here. Lastly, friends to the show, Morgan and Torrance report on the very best food they found in Denver. Morgan is a baker, a seed lover, and Torrance is a cat lover who was once my very excellent roommate. Enjoy. One, two, three. Unsolicited vegan food reviews. Food reviews. Completely and totally unsolicited reviews for you. What are they gonna say? Gonna say. We didn't ask for it, but we got a man. Good morning, Sagittarian Matters uh, listeners. This is Don Riddle with another unsolicited international vegan food review. I'm uh, reporting from a park in Malaga in southern Spain. And I was at the grocery store last night and I purchased, I impulse purchased an item because it was called Smoo Free Jungle. S-M-O-O Free Jungle. And I didn't know what that meant. And it was like a euro. So I I got it. Um, And then I saw that it was uh, vegan gummy candy. So now I'm going to review it for you. So basically each little candy, they're the size, they're not little, they're big. They're the size of animal crackers that would come in like the big tub from Costco and would taste like cardboard, but good. Um... So they're the shapes of animals, and they're every color of the rainbow. Each one is every color. They're not different flavors. They're all every flavor, every color. Um, And I'm going to bite it. That's great. Um, Really reminiscent of Swedish fish um, with a little more chew, which I think is is all you can hope for with vegan gummies. They really haven't dialed that in yet. Um, But these are pretty good. And uh, they're also gluten-free and contain 30% fruit juice. They're the Fini brand, F-I-N-I, Smoo Free Jungle. This is Don Riddle with the Unsolicited Vegan Food Review. And I approve this message. Every Saturday, I've been going to Holden's Rise Above in Tucson and waiting in line. I just waited for 40 minutes. I'm looking at the line. It's really long, but I won't show it to you because I would make my phone all blah, blah, blah. Um, But I want to tell you about what I got. This is um, salted maple tahini cold brew. It's so good. I was hesitant. I don't like really love super sweet coffee things, but it's not very sweet. It actually is very tahini forward which is my favorite flavor in any application, sweet or savory. 
for my pastries, um, I have this um, almond caprese croissant. Look at that. For all you non-vegans, this is maybe not that big of a deal, but we don't have like flaky, buttery croissants in the non-dairy world. Um, this is a strawberry chocolate cruffin. So fucking good. I've had both of those before. This um, is a pistachio rose bear claw. I don't know if this is good yet. I bet it is though, because I'm just absolutely bananas for this laminate dough. I'm not gonna eat these on camera because I, I feel like eating a croissant in public is like a very gross thing to do. Um, and I'm not gonna eat them all right now. I'm gonna start with the savory thing. I've been awake for three hours, I've eaten nothing and had no coffee, so I feel like if I'm doing the savory one, I'm like a health guy. Um, anyways, y'all should go there. Holden's Rise Above, it's very good. Very good. Unbelievably good. Okay. The tahini salted maple tahini cold brew. You can hear the ice. How's that for ASMR? Um, it was incredible. The thick foam on the top was very fluffy and light and just so good. And a lot of the maple flavor lived in that fluff and I don't fucking know how they did it. It's like honestly kind of unbelievable. It was velvety. It had such depth of flavor. Now I'm gonna have to go back to drinking regular coffee. That seems like an impossibility. Um, the Caprese croissant is twice baked. So it's like extra crunchy around the edges. The pesto and the roasted tomato and the almond cheese were all still very warm um, and gooey. And again, lots of depth of flavor. I mean, honestly, this place is good. Holden's Rise Above in Tucson is fucking good. Better than any vegan bakery I think I've ever been to. And I have been to a lot in my tenure. Unsolicited food review, Denver edition. We just ate at Gladys, which is an all vegan restaurant inside of a food hall. Whole the Edgewater Public Market in Edgewater, Colorado. Holy shit. We ordered three things. Greens and... I don't remember. It was these cornmeal battered deep fried peas and green beans with a... Like a tomato-y kind of barbecue-y sauce over it. And some pickles on top. I got the... Black sesame seeds. Black sesame seeds. Then I got a... It's like a grilled summer squash with some kind of chili sauce on it. Lupini beans, black garbanzo beans from Rancho Gordo. Some herbs. Herbs, fried garlic, and some kind of creamy sauce on it. And then Torrance got... I got the tofu fricassee. <laughs> Sometimes known as fricassee. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, I've never ordered such things before. And it was delicious. Okay, it had a cashew cream sauce... The tofu had clearly been frozen because it was um, really delicious and absorbed a lot of sauce. It had wild rice, it had pearl onions, and it also had some pickled onions and uh, I think parsley as well. And celery. And I was like, we're never going to finish this all. We'll come and get a box for the leftovers. There's not a drop of sauce left in our plates. It arrived with wooden utensils, so no plastic, compostable plates, which you might think, whatever. 
you know this is just going to be a snack to go it's like maybe some of the best vegetables I've ever eaten and that's saying a lot I've eaten a lot of vegetables in my time every single element was like seasoned individually and then combined so you get like a whole flavor journey when you eat a lupini bean and then you eat a garbanzo bean and then you eat a little crispy garlic covered zucchini bit I want to ask, does Portland have a rival in Denver, Colorado for the best vegan food? So anyway, 10 out of 10, which is a really high rating, two thumbs up from this unassuming little stall here in the public market. Um, Gladys. Gladys. Glad to meet you. Can't recommend enough. Mm. Alec Longstreth is an award-winning cartoonist. He also works as a freelance illustrator, animator, digital colorist, and comics educator. You can find him at the Center for Cartoon Studies, and he just did all the images and some animations for Weezer's Summer Tour. Alec is also the author of Basewood and the all-ages comic Isle of Elsie. He runs Phase 8 Publishing, and he just published my new book, which you can get from going to his website, phase7comics.com. When you go there, you'll see the Phase 8 logo on the top right. Click on it and be whisked away to the print and digital download links that directly benefit yours truly. You can find Alec and me in person live tabling together at SPX in Maryland this September and at Short Run in Seattle. I think that's at the very end of October slash early November where I will also be doing a reading. You can find me sans Alec at Cartoon Crossroads in Columbus, Ohio as well. But before then, please enjoy my talk with my very old friend, my publisher, and my productivity coach, Alec Longstreth. So let's not bury the lead. We are here to promote Nicole's brand new collection of diary comics, Dog's Breakfast, which I published through my Phase 8 publishing imprint of Phase 7 Comics. So congratulations on your new book, Nicole. It comes out September 1st. So when you're listening to this, it is out there. You can head to the Phase 7 Comics website. We'll put lots of links in there so you can go find it. 492 pages. (laughs) It used to be... 600 pages and i think it could have been 1200 pages yeah we, we'll, we'll get into it it could have been volume one of three that <laughs> encapsulates this era of your life um it does include 12 issues of your long-running zine invincible summer so i thought that might be a fun place to start um could you talk about like when did you start invincible summer like like as someone who makes zines and mini conks i think that moment where you're like i have something to say, or I have piles of art and I want to like put them into a book and share them with people. Could you talk about that moment in your life? I talk about it forever. <laughs> um, I, okay. I started doing zines in high school mm-hmm. and then I moved to Portland when I was 19 in the year 2000. And I just like, I had zines coursing through. I had the the idea of zines coursing through me. Like I went into Reading Frenzy, the zine store, and I was like, I got to work here. And Chloe thought I was like too much and sent me upstairs to the IPRC, the Independent Publishing Resource Center. Um, So I was around all these zinesters. I worked at a coffee shop that was pretty slow, but I was like drinking all the coffee I could. And I was having all these new experiences in Portland, like hanging out with queer people and like riding my bike and, you know, everything I ever dreamed of coming from Kansas. And so I just started keeping illustrate. I had always kept illustrated diaries, mm-hmm. but I just kept enough that at a certain point I was like, well, this is enough. I'll start. You just get the feeling. 
if yeah. you're a zine starter. You're like, oh, oh, I got all these thoughts. I'm starting to jot them down. Hey, wait, this is kind of goes with this. And well, yeah. no, my feeling is like after maybe like I and this feeling has persisted after like a certain amount of time, I just have the feeling of like, that'll do, pig. Like that's enough. That's enough. Like I just get the feel like that's enough stuff. And so then I start photocopying it, going I through see. it. But the first issue of Invincible Summer, which was I had I had posted some diary comics before in high school, mm -hmm. but the first issue of Invincible Summer, I didn't think anybody would actually I wasn't sure if anyone would actually like it. So I made a hand printed butcher paper belt for it that had like a linoleum cut of me and hand stamped the words Invincible Summer. Wow. So then I was like, OK, I'm going to sell it at the store. People can't open it in the store. They oh. get the feeling of buying like a present for themselves. And if they're disappointed, it won't be till after I already have their three dollars. There you go. And after they've gone home and they've gotten the feeling of taking off the belt, opening up the zine, and then they'll be like, oh, I don't like this very much. So there was a that seal on it. You break it, you bought it. <laughs> yeah. So that was like my low self-esteem kind of pitch where I was like, I'm going to make it so lovely with all these book arts materials I have at the IPRC that even if they hate the content, they'll have, I'll already have their money. Yeah. So, But then people liked it. And like, what would you say, like early issues, what was that feeling? Was it like 24 pages, like 36 pages? It was always beefy. It was like more towards 36 pages. Yeah, because I was going to say in this book, we have both issues 17 and 18, which were like 56 and 60 pages, respectively. It's like 100 pages of this book is just two issues of the zine, which I thought was really amazing. Um, and combinations of drawing and writing and little essays and uh, just diary stuff. It's great. Um, and And would you say that like, one of the things that I think is really interesting is you are a published author. You've done, you know, Calling Dr. Laura. You've got Fetch, these books out from sort of major traditional publishers that are out in the world. But uh, you've continued to make zines. You know, uh, we both teach. And sometimes I feel like people these days uh, almost do mini comics as sort of like a stepping stone. Like, well, now I'm a published author. And so that's in the past. And I don't do that anymore. So one of the things I also appreciate is like, even though you cross that threshold, you've still been making zines. Um, do you feel like uh, that's just something you're always going to do? Or do you ever see yourself being like, ah, I'm done self-publishing stuff? Good question. I mean, making zines, it's just part of my art practice. And it's important to me to keep my art practice, whether or not the things I'm creating are marketable. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when I'm doing a book, like one of those books, everything, all the art has to look more or less the same. It's all adhering to the same storyline. And so that's not capturing the day-to-day -day feelings of existence and like the reasons I do art, which is like I'm like funneling emotions through me and metabolizing the news of the day through art. And that doesn't always fit in a book proposal, nor would yeah. I want it to. Yeah. Like I always will want a space where I can do whatever I want. And I don't, you know, I, I like being published. I feel like it's an honor to get to work with lots of different people because um, cartooning is such a solo sport. Mm -hmm. But I'm always going to have that private art practice. Yeah. And I mean, maybe that's a good segue into the other aspect of this book, which is, um, you know, so there's solo issues that you did of Invincible Summer. And then um, qu quite a few of the issues that are in here are the split issues that you used to do with Clutch McBastard, aka Greg Means. Um, and you guys would do usually like the first two weeks of May and sort of do a diary comic. And then uh, it was really fun to read as a reader because like, you know, you guys would run into each other at the IPRC or something. And, you know, you'd be like, Greg, why are you so grumpy? And, you know, there'd be some quip or something. And then you'd see yeah. both sides of it. Um, but then the other aspect of this book is there's like over 100 pages in here 
that are not from any zine um, were never published, never collected. Um, and just in like your piles of, <laughs> in the introduction you described as almost a Harvey- uh, Henry Darger. Henry Darger-esque uh, piles of bins full of stuff. Um, so, I mean, uh, I, I guess you were just talking about it a little bit, but I mean, like, I was kind of astounded. You were like, look, I have six giant bins full of it. And I was like, how much are you journaling? <laughs> you know, how much, uh, what is your daily practice? Because it seems like every single day you're putting something on paper. I don't know. I don't know what my practice is because it feels like, well, first I should tell people who Henry Darger is if they okay, don't yeah, know. Sorry. He was this guy, I think it was the 20s, and he was a janitor, and he lived a solo kind of hermetic life where he would just go home from work and just draw and draw this world that he had built about these like little kids and battle with each other, and they had wings, and it was totally weird. And, and on like and, yellow legal tablets, right? Like no art supplies, just like a guy any, sitting in his apartment doing it, yeah. Anything he could get. So like on trash, like, so then when he died, it, lucky for him... I mean, it's not great that he actually had to go to a poor house and like died in the poor house, but mm -hmm. lucky for him, his landlord was an art curator. Not lucky during his lifetime, but after he died, right. his landlord went down to clean out his apartment and found thousands of pages of his life's work, which was this like battle royale amongst these children and, and beautiful watercolor. And so now Henry Darger is like an outsider artist. Folk hero. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Folk hero. But I went to his. I went to in Chicago, there was a, a folk art museum. There was like they had set up what his room looked like. Mm -hmm. They had like reconstructed it. And I was like, this is exactly what my room looks like. <laughs> yeah. And just all the pages I was I did get overwhelmed. I was like, where's the fairy godmother to come down and be like, I'll take these bins for you and curate them into a beautiful collection. Yeah. And make an ex a gallery exhibit and a hardback, uh, uh, you know, exhibition yeah. guide or whatever. And uh, now here yeah. we are. I but, mean, because that, that's with this book, it was interesting. I mean, you physically mailed me a box. You were like, here's at least 100 pages of stuff. You know, here's a bunch of stuff. And uh, a big part of this book for us was editing, right? Of just like what's in, what's out. Um, and like you said, we had a first draft that was over 600 pages. And it was like, whoa. Um, and then we got it down under 500 by a hair. We got it down to 492. Um, I was trying. I was just like, I can't bear for this to cost as much as it's going to cost. I just yeah. can't bear it. It's like the size of three books. So it costs the size of three books. And I just like the miser in me was like, I can't do it. So I was like, yeah. get out of here. We're cutting, we're cutting, we're cutting. But wait, to answer your other question, I mean, I take notes every, oh, yeah, almost sorry. every day. Mm -hmm. I take written notes almost every day. I have tons of little notebooks all around. And then when I'm teaching classes, I'm always drawing because I'm drawing along with my students during our exercises. Mm -hmm. I'm making notes during meetings. I'm taking notes during therapy. There's like drawings, drawing, but I don't keep a daily diary okay or anything i mean i would like to but i but i don't well it's like you said too i mean it's not uh i think some people are very regimented with it and it's like you know i i remember james kacholka with his american elf diary conco's like he buys the same brand sketchbook every month and then he uses the same pen and it's all like incredibly consistent almost to like a um, newspaper comic strip level, like Schultz or something. Um, but it feels like yours is like, oh, I'm jotting on this. I'm in this notebook. Cause like, even in this collection, some stuff's on lined paper, some's with a uh, pen, some's with pencil. Um, so, you know, there's a, a, a wide variety of like approaches and techniques and materials. And uh, I'm stuff. trying to keep it fun. It's like my long-term relationship, my longest term relationship of my life is going to be with myself, but with my art. And so I'm trying to keep it spicy. So I'll be like, 
ooh, like what notebook looks fun for this? Yeah. Like I'll do that James Kachalka thing. If I'm working on a book, I'll find the kind mm. of like notebook, notepad that I like, and I'll get like 10 of them so I can mm. do my thumbnails in there and it feels the same. But for my diary comics and just living, I'm like, oh, you know, like I get, you know, like this decomposite. This is, I got this for Kaya, but you know, like whatever kind of notebook at the time feels fun. Yeah. Or the back okay. of a receipt or whatever. <laughs> well, like, I also oh, sometimes whatever's around. Yeah. 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 Um, I went to, I, I want to tell you, I went to interview Linda Berry and she had in her hotel room a lanyard on with pens on it so that anytime the spirit hit her and a detail hit her that she wanted to write down. She, so I was like, this woman is wearing a lanyard, not at work, in the <laughs> yeah. privacy of her own home, her own hotel room. She's ready to go. Her creativity, it is, did it have a little pad at the bottom of it, like clipped in so she could just jot on something? Or is just to have the pens? It's a pad, but I remember the pens and being like, dude, you are committed. Yeah, wow. <laughs> um, well, I don't know if this will be interesting to anyone else. It was interesting to me, um, sort of the editorial back and forth that happened with us. Um, I thought it might be funny, like, uh, to me, I was like, Nicole Georges is an important artist and we need to like uh, archivally, like in a museum, <laughs> you know, like document exactly what these zines were and like what was on every page. And, you know, and then you sort of came in and were like, I'm editing this. We're going to take some stuff out. I might redraw some stuff like um, all killer, no filler became our uh, borrowed from James Stern, but became our editorial uh, Northern Star. Uh, what, what what was your insight into that? Why did you feel like you wanted to change some stuff? Well, I mean, it's if you go through the book, you'll see there's lots of different styles of drawing. There's things that went through multiple layers of editing. There's things that this was the first draft and that is it. That's what's happening. And so I think, you know, looking at, especially when we were thinking about the price point at a certain point, I was like, some of this stuff is too rough. The, the heads, the George's heads are going to have to be able to find it elsewhere. Maybe we'll have a special collector's edition, edition for them or something. You know, the Robin Chapman special that lives in the archives of your computer. Um, but for me, I just, some of the, you know, I'm, I'm fine with roughness. I'm fine with being like, this is the, this was how it felt. This is how it was. This is the drawing. I'm not redoing the drawing. But some of them, I was like, some of the drawings had always bugged me. Like some of them, even when I put them out the first time had bugged me. Mm-hmm. And look, every time I looked at it, it bugged me. And so some of those things, I was like, I have to make this legible. Yeah. I I drew it and I it's my child and I can barely look at it. I can barely, <laughs> like I'm angry with my my child for being illegible. And so I have to go back and, or yeah. like like the, the date comic with Katie, who's like my ex from like 10 years ago. I was mm-hmm. like, I have to redraw this date because I hate the drawings. Like yeah. I just- my first draft the figure drawing i was like i just wanted i want it to look just like a little bit better if it's going to stay in the comment in there yeah i it was also interesting because we're talking about sort of like uh maybe more formal comics and then sort of off the cuff does this thing happen today it was really interesting because i just scanned everything in the box and crammed it in there and then we're like whoa this book's really big but as we started going through it some of it was like this thing happened today and I jotted you jotted down a, a quick thing, but then you're like, oh, now I'm going to go back and like redraw it for the zine. And so some of the stuff was duplicate information, like 
you know, my dog wishbone, something happened to them today, but then like it got into the comic and so it was like, oh, we have like almost a rough draft or like your personal version of it. But then we have like the quote unquote finished version was also in there. So we could sort of cut things out. Uh, there was like duplicate entries, which I thought was really interesting from the two different approaches. That is the thing that's most wild to me is finding stuff like that. Like I have one or two sketchbooks from around the same like three year period and I have drawn the same self portrait like a year or six months or a year apart from each other, the exact same proportions, the exact same self-portrait oh, wow. without realizing that I was doing it. But I can tell from looking at them both, like the small emotional changes. Mm. That I would make a cool would... flip book, put all of those at like the end of your life. <laughs> you like, <laughs> and it would like transform. You would age. Oh yeah. Um, it's cool. Yeah. And then uh, just one of the other editorial things I thought was really funny is uh, issue 25, the elusive issue 25 of Invincible Summer. So we uh, we got some of the issues from Greg. He had like scans. So we like popped those in. Robin Chapman, who you mentioned, thankfully keeps like the most amazing mini comic archive, like maybe in the United States. And we're like, we're missing issue 22.5, which was a MoCA special edition. And she was like, I got that right here. She mailed it to us. Thank you, Robin. Um, so that went in there. And then we get up, we had 24 and we had 26. <laughs> and I was like, where is 25? And like, I searched through your Patreon. I searched through your Instagram. We were looking everywhere for this. My thing. blog like, spot. Your blo I went your blog spot, your Tumblr. I searched everywhere because it is literally like, here's issue 24 exclusive for my Patreons. And then it's like, hey, issue 26 is out. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What happened in these three months? And so you were like, did we were digging through emails. You're like, I don't know. Maybe I made something like, because it was as your your dog dies and all this stuff happens. You're like, maybe, maybe I made like eight copies and just handed it to friends or something. Um, and, and eventually you did find a PDF that was marked Invincible Summer 25 but it was corrupted. <laughs> so we paid a place to <laughs> uncorrupt the file or dig into it. And it was issue 26. <laughs> so I was just like, oh, is it a typo? Did you just space out or whatever? We couldn't figure it out. Um, and so the solution we came up with is you have this awesome, it was like 20 pages, the San Francisco diary. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, it's, yeah. Or talk, talk about that. Like when were you creating that? Or it, it's from the right, it was right in the right era. So we sort of like called it 25. Uh, in 2017, the book Fetch was coming out and the Lambda Literary Organization had me do like a week in my life before my book release. Mm -hmm. And so I did it as a blog and I ended up doing a couple illustrations from it. But I always liked the blog and I, I, I liked that week of diary entries and I felt kind of sad that they were just going to live in this. Like, like who's going to look at, you know, a blog from 10 years ago that's like right. deep in a literary website? Much respect to Lambda. I feel really happy that they had me do that. But anyway, I adapted that into a comic. Yeah. And it's like right in the exact moment between 24 and 26. So we were like, I think I put a thing in there. It's like, eh, for all intents and purposes, this is Invincible Summer 25. But <laughs> it might have just I been a even... clerical error that it wasn't in the continuity or whatever. I just didn't even care. I was like, well, there's no 25. There's no 25. I mean, there's like a 22.5. <laughs> this, this is the difference between you and I. Because I was like, oh, my God, there's no 25. Where is it? Why, why did you do it? Well, I don't understand. You know. Um, oh, my God. Ponyos. I have my dog has a fan club on Patreon called Ponyos Friend Club. And I basically just I started numbering the, the membership cards. And then at some point, I just started randomly numbering the membership cards. So there might be someone who's like, person number 300 there might be like three people that are number 48 there might be i just was at a certain point i lose track of numbers and i'm like eh, how about your number 15 
There is no spreadsheet. It's a little, yeah. Oh, there's no spreadsheet. So Ponyo's friend club, maybe someday they'll have a gathering and they'll, maybe they can all find each other. I, we have the <gasps> same number. You're number 17. I'm also number 17. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas like I'm in the Weezer fan club where all that stuff is like very carefully thing. And people like uh, have like, oh yeah, you're number whatever. Well, I'm a lower number or whatever. And then there's this one guy, Brad May, who somehow is number 0014. He's like the 14th person to sign up. <laughs> I don't even know how that happens. Like you buy the blue album on day one and send in your application immediately or something, but he's still active and has like the ultimate street cred. Like no one can, uh, you know, no one has a lower number than Brad at this point. Zero, zero, 0014. Yeah. But then who's zero, zero, 13 or zero, 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 people out there who like signed up back in 1994 and then were like, whatever, this is stupid. And they moved on with their life. Those people are grandparents now. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> Um, is there any other insights you want to give or anything you want to say about this collection of work or this era of your life? I mean, it's like 10 years of your life in a giant tome. I know. And it still feels incomplete because like a bunch of that time was spent like the book starts and I'm living by myself in my 20s in a house called Little House. And then by the end of it, I'm living by myself more or less again in L outside outside of L.A., and I have a different dog and a different life. But in between there, there was a lot of touring. Mm -hmm. And I think some of the, the touring got lost. That's like the, I don't know. That's like the weird parallel life side-by-side -side diaries that are just in those bins that we didn't even touch. Yeah. But, There's at least one issue where you're like in a tour van hitting multiple cities and everyone's like oh, yeah. cranky and needs food and stuff. And Oh, uh, yeah. You get a little bit of tour life. There's oh, also a, a fellowship year, right? Like it also covers your year in Vermont, uh, griping about the snow. And <laughs> uh, I had this moment when I was doing my fellowship at the Center for Cartoon Studies where it was literally spring break. And I was on social media looking at people on the West Coast, like spring break pictures where they were like spring break, like wearing T-shirts or something. And we were wearing like, you know, I, I had like what I had a normal coat that I brought. And then I had the I give up coat, which was just <laughs> purely functional like all fashion was gone it was just like wearing a sleeping bag but not even as glamorous and like my knee-high boots because the snow was so deep and i was like god damn it spring god. break yeah spring yeah. break like maybe yeah. the movie spring breakers had come out recently where everyone's wearing short shorts and be like what yeah tank top summer weather whatever yeah but like i was jack nicholson at the end of the shining <laughs> <laughs> just trying to make comics and survive um, the winter Alec, what things did you fight for and win that are in the book? Uh, Speaking I, of The Shining. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think there was like, uh, we got a lot of stuff in there. And at an early draft of the book, it was sort of like the issues of Invincible Summer were in the front. And then there was a ton of stuff in the back. And I had sort of split those into various sections. And uh, what we ended up doing is more chronological. So a lot of that stuff got kind of put in between like where they are chronologically as things were happening, which makes more sense because it's like, oh, my God, your dog Beja dies. And there's so many comics reacting to that or processing that. Um, and so uh, but one of the sections I was really glad that still at the back is teaching comics. And it's like one of my favorites of just super funny, just like uh, just like you were saying earlier, like you probably came home from teaching and like, I got to write this down because this kid said this crazy <laughs> thing or whatever. Um, that's like one of my favorite sections. It's just, uh, you used to be like a, a, a public art teacher in the- I was an artist in residence. Artist in residence, yeah. 
That's right. Remember one time I told you I had taught like 20,000 students and you're like, haha, cool, fake number. And I was like, no, I've literally taught 20,000 students. And I was like, what? How's that possible? And then you started breaking it down. You were like 15 middle schools, uh, three classes a week, each class is 30 students. <laughs> like For this many years. Yeah, yeah, very quickly. I think you had said 10,000 and then we started oh, yeah. doing the math and it was like, that's an undercount. It's considerably more than that. <laughs> um, it was like teaching at rock camp every summer and then teaching at middle schools like every day of the not every day of the year but a lot but a lot of different middle schools anyway yeah yeah that's that's one of my favorite sections that i was like i don't want to lose this or whatever or it was hard because it does cover some time so it wasn't chronologically available to like oh we cram it in here because it all happened on this one day Um, but it's just like i don't know i also teach so it's also just like oh i put some music on some kids like this song sucks and then some kids like oh man this song totally rules or whatever and um, yeah, and there's also like a nice section in the back where you sort of talked about, you know, there's like a how to how to make a diary comic or some things to think about. Um, because so much of it is just like those yearly split zines where it's like, okay, I'm going to take the first two weeks of May, and you know, make a diary comic. Um, so th- those are the ones I was really glad that that I like that section in the back. It's a good note to go out on. Oh, good. I'm always trying to tell my students to do diary comics. They're always like, no, I want to do a 400 page graphic novel. And I'm like, a diary comic is a nice way for you to practice a story arc given materials that are right in front of you. And Your it's, life. More, it's more sustainable too. I mean, you know, I think if you're a student with not a lot of experience, you're like, I have a, an idea for a 400 page graphic novel and you started drawing it. And I'm saying this from personal experience, it would probably take you 10 years to do that. Uh, whereas if you just sat down and do a diary comic, that's what this book is, right? It's 500 pages of diary comics. And so 10 years later, you're at the same point. You have a book. Um, but I think it was probably less taxing or, like you said, more fun of just like, oh, hey, this funny thing happened. I'm going to jot it down. I'm going to grab a pen or a pencil or whatever. Um, it feels like a much more healthy, uh, sustainable way to approach comics instead of like, I'm locked in my studio, you know. Uh, well, you know, when you're doing a long project, it can get grueling. Uh, Even if it's a project you love and you're like, I'm so grateful I get a book contract or I'm going to do this book. You get you get a, you hit a point where you're like, it's just it, it's grueling. It's a slog. And so it's mm-hmm. fun to have a side project to be like, oh, drawing can be fun. Don't yeah. forget. You or can draw whatever you want. Today. Yeah, this thing happened today. And I'm going to like make a quick comic about it and then, you know, put a zine out. Uh, yeah, I think that's a much healthier way to make comics. I remember being on page like 175 of my graphic novel, Basewood, which is like 216 pages. And I was in the studio with John Chad, our friend John, and he was like, you're almost done. How does it feel? Does it feel amazing? <laughs> I was just like, no, I feel like I'm locked in comics jail and I just can't. I, every page is painful and just a slog and I just got to I'm not having any fun. I just have to keep my head done and, you know keep my head down and get it done. Um, I mean, that's that's something that's in the book is like behind the scenes of drawing fetch where there's just those moments where I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. But like nobody can help you. Yes. Nobody else can. People be like, can I help? And I'm like, no, you can't. Me. I'm the only person that can do the thing that needs to happen right now, Yeah. which is draw the actual like ink, the actual panels. Like if you tried to help, it wouldn't look the same. It would be weird. It would literally turn it into something that it's not supposed to be. Yeah. It would turn into outsider art for a reason that was out of my control. Um, but so that that's in the book too, is I feel like I had like a miniature nervous breakdown when I was finishing fetch because I like I asked for a um I asked for an extension and they said no. 
And then I was like, just get it done. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And so then I was teaching middle school all day and then having to draw, then driving to my studio from the suburbs and having to draw all night. And I was like, I don't really want to do this right now. And it was like, but you must. I had to be my own weird demonic stage mom. No, there's a heartbreaking comic in here where you're like, and that's why I can't hang out with you tonight because I have to sit here and make my book, even though I'm so tired and exhausted. Somebody asked me on a date and I was like, I can't go to a date with you because I'm losing my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't meant to be. Yeah. It wasn't uh, meant to be. One of the other big themes of the book, uh, if we want to talk about it, is just Beja and Wishbone and uh, Ponyo, sort of a transition from the dogs that you had for... I don't know, a decade plus as a teenager into your twenties and stuff. And then finding Ponyo, um, the, the entire dog trauma mini comic that you made, uh, after Beja died is in here. Do you want to talk about that? Or is that too painful? (laughs) No. Well, so when, you know, in, if people have read fetch, you know, that's a a spoiler alert, Beja died, but she was born in like 1997. So, you know, all dogs die. It would be a long time for her to be alive right now. Yes. Um, but when she was dying, I solicited donations from people because I didn't have enough money from career working in nonprofits and being an artist. I didn't have enough money to do the cancer things that needed to happen. And then people donated. And one and I was so grateful that one of the things I did was I made this comic that I sent them, which is probably a real bummer for them to receive, actually, because um, it was like a wordless comic of just finding the bump and going through all of that. Um, but I actually didn't draw her dying in the comic because I just couldn't. I drew, I ended on a nice note. Yeah. But all of that was was drawn in fetch, the experience. And actually, you know, in the past year or so during meditation, I realized I never properly grieved Wishbone. Mm-hmm. Wishbone was like the other child that people didn't really know about. Like I got her too much dog death, but I got a dog named Lamb Chop. And when he died, I was like, oh my God, I need a spare in case Beja ever dies. So I got this little terrier who I thought was five years old and she actually like had cataracts and was like a lot older than the rescue told mm-hmm. me. And so Wishbone predeceased Beja by one month. But then Beja I'd had for 16 years. So she was such a cover story that it just and then I couldn't in my when I was writing Fetch, I was writing about Beja dying and I was like, oh, should I write about Wishbone dying? And my editor was like, well, that's going to kind of suck the air out of Beja dying. She was like, if you have all these other dogs dying, it's going to lessen the impact of the main dog dying. And that's there's an editorial piece of information for everyone. Yeah, totally. But so I just realized at a certain point, I had spent all this time memorializing Beja and thinking about her life and spending, you know, five years slogging through the book, really thinking about her life and death. Mm -hmm. That Wishbone had kind of fallen off the story of my life. And so Wishbone actually gets some more space in this yeah book. there's three full pages in here really reflecting on the loss of wishbone yeah and uh, she was she was like a weird dog she wasn't beja was like my heart dog and wishbone was like a weird feral creature that it was like having a raccoon like she was such a weirdo but um <laughs> well also like no i mean we were i'm not like in your inner circle but we were friends you know in portland and, and afterwards or whatever and it's like you used to walk around with beja beja was like attached at your hip or whatever and uh, yeah it's like wishbone was in the picture but maybe not you know uh if if you were just sort of uh an acquaintance you wouldn't be like oh you also have another dog at home it was like beja was the the main attraction like you were saying yeah wishbone was like staring wishbone had dementia at some point wishbone was like staring at a corner in the basement going uh, uh. <laughs> poor wishbone 
but I loved her very much. And I just, I had a moment where I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry, Wishbone. I never like properly memorialized you in my art the way I had, you know, I made a portrait of her for myself and I had drawn her in lots of diary comics, but this book is my opportunity to give her that. Yeah. And, and then discover Ponyo and it sort of gets into um, that transition too. Well, it's so weird that people just know about Ponyo. Right. Not everything before. So the- Because of social media. Because yeah. Ponyo was like an Instagram baby. And so people on social media know Ponyo so well, but then it's like, oh no, these other dogs are totally like Ponyo's her ancestors. Yeah. Well, it's also in the context of the book, it's almost like Ponyo is like a rebound dog of like, I'm not ready, but maybe I'll just do this. It'll be fine. And then it's like, whoa, this dog becomes, you know, the, the next main attraction or whatever. Oh, I know. I mean, I just, I can't believe how fortuitous that was. I really, when I put a deposit down on her, I was like, I don't know about this. Yeah, you're like, what am I doing? I almost gave her away. I need to make a comic of this. I almost gave her, like, two weeks after I got her, I was still grieving Beja, and I was like, this dog is so good, she could go to anyone. I don't know if I need a dog. And we went to the river, and this man was eating Subway subs, and he was feeding her roast beef out of his sub. And so when I tried to call her, she was ignoring me. She was like, I don't know her. I don't know her. And I was like, she doesn't have roast beef. (laughs) She was like, Panya was like, Nicole's feeding me leftover injera from Ethiopian leftovers. Like, (laughs) I don't need this vegan this vegan lady calling me i don't know her and so i was like what if i just gave her to this like heteronormative suburban family that eats meat and just could feed her whatever she wants and it just was too awkward to have the conversation so i didn't but i really was like i'm just gonna give her to those people <laughs> well thank goodness you didn't <laughs> no, so, so now Ponyo's like 11 and a half and i'm like i'm like doing the mortuary call i'm like oh god how do i make her live to be 32 years old how do i clone her how do i cryogenically freeze her how do i keep ponyo forever i love her so much yeah yeah well um do you feel like so the last issue of invincible star is 26 which gets us like pretty close to modern times to the current day and there's lots of sketchbook stuff in the back that sort of brings it up to you know at least the pandemic there's some pandemic comics in the back um do you feel like, do you still get that feeling of like, oh, I got enough uh, sketchbook stuff or there's enough cohesive stuff here. I'm going to put out an issue. Or do you feel like uh, you're just leaving it to the Henry Darger <laughs> approach of there's another bin. Oh yeah. You know, uh, 2023 to 2033, uh, that's this bin. I'll let someone else come along and do it. Uh, Why well, I, I have, to, I mean, I have to keep putting them out. Yeah. I just have to because it gets too overwhelming. The feeling of the bins, the feeling of thousands of pages of unpublished diary comics gives me so much anxiety that I have to keep putting. I mean, I do get that feeling like I right now I have a bunch of my senior citizen. I did a zine workshop with senior citizens for 10 years Mm -hmm. and I put out a book of those. But I have like another like 200 pages of notes from that that I want to make another zine of that. I have other like full the problem is I've started working in full color, which is a real pain in the ass. Really expensive to print is the main Really problem. expensive to print. Yeah. So, But I have a whole bunch of full color comics. Some of them got cut out of this anthology because yeah. we were like, ooh, they're full color and they would look so nice full color and the rest of this book is black and white. Um, so no, I do still get that feeling. I still have a bunch of stuff I want to put together. Cool. Well, hopefully there's a, a publisher with more means than me out there that's like, oh, a bunch of full color Nicole George's comics. Yes, please. So um, let's let's get that in the work, someone out there. But I'm so happy that you were like, OK, let's do it. Yes. Yes. I want to scan hundreds of pages <laughs> and put together this giant brick of a book. Also, if you if you want to come see us at a convention, 
please come early because we can't bring that many books because they're so big. They're heavy. We so. literally can't bring that many books because they are like, they can fit like eight to a box and we can only live with so many boxes. Yeah. I, I was kind of amazed when the book was done, when we got the final proof and I put it on the shelf in my Nicole George's section, it's like the same size as Fetch and uh, Kong Dr. Laura. Like it's almost the same trim size and thick, if not thicker, it's like, uh, it, it's, it's quite a tome. So um, yeah, I'm just super happy we put it together. Thank you for trusting me with your work. And um, I think everyone who's a Nicole George's fan or anyone who likes diary comics, has a dog, is a vegan, <laughs> is queer, any of those uh, uh, intersections will really enjoy this book. So check it out. Yeah. Thanks, Alex. So it's called Dog's Breakfast. It's uh, by Nicole J. George's. It comes out September 1st from Phase 8 Publishing. We'll put links in the show notes, but uh, uh, accessible. Oh, buy, it. Yeah. buy it from Lulu or from Gumroad. If you buy it directly from us, from one of those two places, Gumroad is the digital copy, Lulu is the physical copy, we will get more money. People always yeah. ask me, where's the best place to get your books? And up until now, I didn't have an answer. Yeah, so Lulu's our printer, and if you buy it from there, Nicole gets like $16 or something. And if you buy it through Amazon, she gets like 16 cents. So yeah. uh, just because of distribution and uh, uh, distributors and retail stuff. Um, so yeah, so if you if you want to help Nicole out, that's the best way to support her work. There is an ebook version that's only 15 bucks, so you can yeah. grab that. Um, all that money and in, in phase eight, we do a 90 10 split. So Nicole keeps uh, the bulk of it. And I'm just trying to recoup some of the, the money that I spent uh, getting stuff printed. But um, we will be at the small press expo in Bethesda, Maryland, September 9th and 10th, I think is the dates, if I've got that right. Yeah. Um, and then we will be, uh, you're going to be at CXC in Ohio, yeah. Crossroads, Columbus uh, in October. And then we will both be in Seattle, Washington at the Short Run Festival, November 4th with copies of the book. Um, yeah. So if you're in any of those regions, swing on by, we'll have copies. And then, uh, Nicole, what are you working on now? Or what's next, uh, uh, if not just the next issue of Invincible Summer? I'm working on three projects right now. I'm working on I always have, oh, I just am putting out my 2024 emotional support animal calendar. Nice. So my anonymous fuzzball collection that will be with me at the shows. Um, I am working on a middle grade graphic novel that I can't announce yet, Cool, but I will announce. Uh, and I am working on relative fiction, uh, basically a sequel to Calling Dr. Laura about all the relatives I found and all the mis new mysteries that unfolded after calling dr laura came out awesome i love the emotional support uh calendar i have mine right here i use it as my animation calendar so i keep track of my progress uh every night when i animate so you're always with me here at the drawing table <laughs> or one of your animals is oh, i'm so happy to be there sagittarian matters is produced by chris sutton with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.